All God's people said, Amen. The fourth Sunday in Advent as we make preparations. Well, get ready for a miracle. It's soon to happen. Of course, we know the end of the story at the beginning. The interesting thing about Advent is Advent is all about waiting. It really is. And it's not a real lengthy waiting. It's a period of time where we wait for about four weeks. And most of our waiting in life is simply mundane. It's, it's ordinary. It's regular. When I get up every single morning, I do the exact same things. I stumble downstairs. I find my newest K-cup. I flip the lid of our Keurig. I put it in, close the lid, put my cup underneath, and I wait. I wait for my perfectly brewed hot cup of coffee. Well, I need to tell you, I'm not a great waiter, so I do a few other things in the meantime, so I don't really have to wait. I can multitask at the same time, so I'm not really waiting, even though technically I suppose I am. (laughs) I put the little cream in there, I put a little sugar in there, and I fill the reservoir of the Keurig every morning while I wait. Dawn usually gets up before I do, and I try to do one small thing so that she never has to do it. It's always full for her. I go over and pet our dog, Bogey, who's getting older than the hills, and he's starting to show signs that, well, we need to cherish the time that we have left with him. Usually by that time, I've waited long enough for my cup of coffee to be ready, and I take it out from underneath, and I take my first few sips. Nothing like that first sip of a cup of coffee in the morning. You know, we wait in other ways, too. Not so much in Southern California, but I can remember as a boy in the Midwest, and even in Seattle, we would wait for those first snowstorms of the year. And the ultimate payoff for literally everyone, no school, you get to stay home, including the parents more often than not. We have a little holiday that day, and we get to pull out the sleds and the mittens and the gloves and the hats and the coats and find our favorite hill, or in our case in Seattle, we lived on a hill, so we could just go right out our street and slide down the hill right in front of our house. Ah, you know, waiting, waiting for that snow day and the payoff. We wait for other things in our world, graduations, weddings, other rites of passage. We wait. You know, and waiting for God to come is similar, but different. We also wait in the midst of power outages from those amazing Santa Ana winds, don't we? When will the power come back on? We wait. We don't know. But we wait. Most Advent is waiting like this. And kind of not like this. Most of the waiting we do in our life is for the ordinary. Advent, the wait in Advent, (laughs) the coming of God, the arrival of God, the God that that came up with an idea and through a spoken word created the infinite cosmos down to your very life, Sean. That's right, double thumbs up. 
That's Advent. I know that by the fourth Sunday of Advent, folks are kind of done waiting. We're getting ready for something to happen. A miracle. Are you ready for a miracle? I'm not even sure what your idea of a miracle is. It could be something that I saw on the news this week that was released, and it was an autonomous, robo, self-driving taxi. So if you've been waiting for that miracle, it's just been released. It kind of looked like a toaster, actually, when I saw this taxi next to a toaster. It's kind of funny. Maybe, maybe you're waiting for a vaccine. Maybe you're waiting for God to enter our existence. All of those are very significant in their own ways. They're all amazing. But this week, we wait for a miracle, for God to show up. Earlier on Monday this past week, I, probably like you after the last 10, 11 months, watched eagerly and anxiously for a miracle, for a vaccine to make its way from the laboratory through planes and trains and automobiles, well, at least planes and trucks. And that vaccine was delivered all over the country and people started receiving shots. That certainly is a miracle. After nine months of masks and physical distancing and washing our hands, the numbers rising ever more significantly, I was and we are ready for hope, for a miracle. And it came through the delivery of those first vaccines. And so we wait for grace, for hope, for a miracle. Imagine in the biblical story, waiting for 350 years for a miracle to come true. I sat in my office this week thinking about how hard it is to wait for nine months for a vaccine, let alone 350 years. I don't even know how many generations that is. <laughs> Maybe seven. Well, that's where we find ourselves today. So get ready for a miracle. God's about ready to break in. And seriously, wow. Let's take a look at our text. Our text is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. It's a great story. It reads like this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name, Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him 
Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And don't you love this right here? How will this be? Four words. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, well, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever, ever fail. Mary's response? I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then... The angel left her. The reading of God's Word. Get ready for a miracle. One's about to happen. Let's take a look at the anatomy of a miracle. We've waited. We're ready. In this story, the time is near. The anatomy of a miracle and how we participate in one starts very simply with this first fundamental truth. God breaks in. God does it. God's the one that breaks into our world. It's called in this text a theophany. You don't have to learn that language, but that's the right word for it. A theophany. And it literally is theos, God, epiphanying himself, entering in. Theophany. Through an angel, Gabriel. Gabriel is the deliverer of this message for God. It's interesting to me because we can't really anticipate when or how or with whom God will break into history. Our history. God usually uses the most marginalized and out-of-the-way kind of folks like John the Baptist, a crazy guy baptizing down at the river, a leper, an adulterer, adulteress, a blind person. The list is long. The list is large. And what's important to notice is rarely is it the hero in the story, which is interesting for us because we're the hero of our own lives. After all, we live in the greatest country of the world. Everything we read, every experience we have is through the lens of the hero. Try to read this story not from the lens of the hero, but from those who literally are pushed away from the hero. That's Mary and Joseph. They live in Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. It's not the thriving metropolis of Jerusalem, or even Bethlehem for that matter. These folks are country bumpkins. He was a carpenter. She was somewhat disgraced. Pregnant, betrothed, but not married. 
not the hero and heroines of the story. Try to read these stories from the perspective of those who are on the outside. A friend of mine in Seattle wrote a book called Reading the Bible with the Damned. People in prison. You see, there's another interesting notion at play here, and it goes like this. Um, If I really work hard enough, I'll create my own way forward. I can create my own salvation. But the power of this text, we don't create our salvation. God breaks in to create that bridge for us. God initiates. God breaks in. God disrupts. God reorders. And God reclaims. No matter how difficult, how tough it may seem, no matter how long the wait is or will be, the past is never as good as we think it was. Nor is the present ever as bad as we believe it to be. Why? God's always in the middle of it. Even in the midst of apparent silence. Don't mistake the apparent absence of God for the silence of God. That's the power of the weight, W-A-I-T, of this story. The anatomy of a miracle begins when we truly recognize that God breaks in, usually in and through the lives of the people who are not the heroes and heroines. They rise up to become that underdog story. The second truth from this text that I find very interesting, and this word appeared, uh, and it's the word favor, favor. Because when God breaks in, first truth, people are favored, second truth. All people are favored, not just the heroes, but in spite of the heroes, (laughs) the ones that struggle the most. So I thought it would be interesting to talk a little bit about what does it mean to be favored. You know, we, we often think, if I work really hard, God will favor me and bless me. Not really good theology. The interesting thing about this miracle, God breaking into the life of Mary, Mary conceiving without being with a man, a child who is called Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of the Most High God, Jesus. The miraculous nature of this miracle is the totality of the miracle. Mary is favored precisely because she doesn't have anything. Notice the particularity and generality, two key phrases, around the word favor. Mary is favored particularly as a person so that all people will be shown favor generally. Mary is particularly favored to bear Emmanuel. 
so that all people can be favored and the great role reversal coming in the Magnificat that we read later. So an unwed teenage girl in a rural community away from the city lights and the influencers, the glamour and style of Beverly Hills and Rodeo Drive is favored by God. The notion that God only uses certain people or those influencers in the city is totally thrown out the window by Mary's surprise visitor. And that ought to give all of us a profound sense of hope. Mary is extraordinary because she is so ordinary. Hey, are there any ordinary feeling folks out there today? Right? We're all ordinary. None of us are influencers, whatever that means. It's precisely the ordinary folks that are particularly favored by God so that all people can receive the general favor of God. That's the power of this miracle. So the anatomy of a miracle begins as God breaks in. There's an inbreaking. It proceeds with favor shown to the marginalized, particularly so that all can experience that same favor down the road. And yet we play a role in this. Mary in her text is told not to be afraid. Don't be afraid that you'll bear a son who will be called Son of the Most High. Her response, four words. How can this be? I love that. Her surprise. You're gonna, you found favor. You're going to bear a son. We're going to call him Son of the Most High. Are you in? She's puzzled. She's kind of freaking out. What do I do with this new information? I'm just a teenage kid in the suburbs. <laughs> How can this be? Very perplexing piece of news to her. And we've experienced how can this be also, haven't we? In the face of a sudden death of a friend, we respond with, how can this be? I just had lunch with them yesterday. A catastrophe, a natural catastrophe happens nearby or a place we've visited somewhere around the world. And we think, how can this be? I was just there a month and a half ago. A hospital patient suddenly experiences a, a shrink in tumors. And all the medical professionals want to know, how can this be? We never saw this coming. <laughs> Those four words. How can this be? Is a great question that we've all asked at one time or another. And I bet we've asked it multiple times over the last nine months. How did that just happen? How did we find ourselves in this place? But let me suggest that those four words, how can this be, really are the soil for faith. Because in this apparent absence of God is really the presence of the God who delights 
in showing favor to particular people so that all people will be favored. She counts the cost. She thinks about it. She takes in her surroundings, the drama of the moment, and her next line in the story is her response. She says, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Wow. Those words, they're not coerced. God gives freedom to respond in any way. Mary has, I find, the right blend of spice, questioning Gabriel, how can this be, and sugar. She doesn't have to do it. She's not forced to do it. She ponders. She weighs the options. And then she inclines her will to do this and responds with that great line, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Cynthia Rigby, a feminine theologian, says this, she becomes in that line the creative partner and agent of the coming of the Christ child with the cosmic God and the Spirit who infuses. Isn't that amazing? Mary becomes a co-creator, a creative partner in her yes. It's not coerced. She's got free will. But it's not really optional either. Because when you're encountered by the God of the cosmos, you have to reply with a yes. We're obligated to hope. Mary sets aside her questions. She surrenders her self-actualized identity to become the servant of the Lord for her particular good and the common good of all people. Everywhere throughout human history. Past, present, even up to today and beyond. And to me, that's what the attention to the call of God does. It intervenes without coercion, but through surrender, rearranges our will with the will of God. And perhaps, my friends, perhaps, ready for the punchline, this is the greatest miracle of all in this story. It's not all that miraculous that God who's all-powerful, can become a human being. I have an easier time getting that. But the twist and the slant of this story this morning is that a teenage girl has enough presence of mind to weigh all her options, to question with a how can this be, to recognize that this is from God, and to respond without coercion, with her own free will to set aside her own unique autonomous individual identity and say, may it be unto me as your word says. Perhaps that self-inclination to surrender to the will of God is the greatest miracle in this story of all. How about you this morning? Have you been able to surrender the, in, the, the primal inclinations of your will to the will of God. Against all the best wisdom 
coming at us from influencers and Madison Avenue and Wall Street and Rodeo Drive. Because in this story, for this guy, that's the greatest miracle of all. Why? Wait for it. Why is that the greatest miracle? With God, nothing is impossible. Amen.